Arizona has a lot of solid options at the wide receiver position. But do they have any great options? Heck, do they have any good options? And we're a little bit closer to knowing who's going to throw them the ball. Should we be upset with the process? You're listening to the Wildcat Sports Report Podcast. Arizona has a host of options at the wide receiver position, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But first, uh, let's get into the quarterback uh, battle because that seems to be the most uh, important battle in camp, and it's always the most interesting for fans, and we've had plenty of them over the past, I don't know, 20 years, uh, maybe since Jason Johnson won the job in Makovic's first year. Arizona should know who the starting quarterback is on Monday. Jed Fish will formally announce his choice then, if not before. But the big surprise will be if it's anyone other than Gunnar Cruz. In fact, since spring, it would be a surprise if it was anyone but Gunnar Cruz, unless Jordan McLeod just came in and wowed people, which apparently he hasn't. So, was this actually a quarterback competition? Yes and no. In reality, you have four kinds of, I guess, quarterback battles in, in preseason camps. That's two of the NFL, high school, college. One is the incumbent's the man, and there's nothing he can do to lose the job. If you want a great case of that, look at the Kansas City Chiefs. There's nothing Chad Haney can do between now and, and September 12th, I think, when they play their first game, to unseat Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes could stink up the joint in every preseason game. And Henny could be perfect, and Henny's not getting the job. The second is the incumbent comes in, and you have to do all you can do to unseat him. He has to play poorly, and the other guys have to play well. Um, you hear the coaches say this all the time. Every position is a battle, but in reality, I think the, a great example of this might have been Dick Tomey's final year when no matter how bad Ortiz Jenkins was, there was really almost nothing Jason Johnson could do to win the job. He, he might have been able to, but really that was Ortiz's job to lose. He never quite lost the job. I think we saw that under some other guys, Willie Tuitama, later on. Then the other two are, are much more interesting. There's the Pure open competition. I don't know who the quarterback is going to be. And we actually, I think, best saw that maybe Makovic's first year, Stoops' first year. Uh, you know, they went in the spring ball Makovic's first year, I think, with seven quarterbacks. And everyone was kind of shocked that it was Jason Johnson. There were a lot of other guys people thought it would be, and, and he, you know, he won that job. Conversely, when Stoops took over, it was an open battle between Kovalchek and Hevener. And in that case, when you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Uh, we've seen that in other places as well. Then there's the one, which is what I think you're getting here. And that is, especially after the spring, Jed Fish had a pretty good idea that Gunnar Cruz was the guy. But there was still an open competition. Had Will Plummer or Jordan McLeod outplayed Gunnar Cruz, they would probably be named the starter. Cruz had the upper hand, mostly, I think, because of his size and his arm strength and his fit for the system, but he didn't have a stranglehold on it. If Plummer was really, really, really good, or if McLeod came in and blew people away, I think they'd be named the starter. And I guess there's still a chance over the weekend that one of them could emerge. But I see people saying, well, you know, 
Jed Fish is dishonest. This wasn't a real quarterback battle. He wasn't honest with those guys. They didn't have a... No, I think you don't flat out tell them, oh, Cruz is the guy, you got to beat him. But he didn't lie to him either because they had a chance to win the job. But if all things are equal, Gunnar Cruz is going to get the job. I don't think that's dishonest. I think it's done in most places. You don't think right now, going back to Fish's old job in New England, that Cam Newton even though it's considered an open quarterback job, Cam Newton isn't the starter if all things are equal between he and Mac Jones. But Mac Jones certainly has a chance to win that job. And maybe if they are exactly equal, you know, Jones would get it because of his youth. But, you know, he has to unseat Cam Newton. But it's a, it's a competition. Newton can't rest on his laurels. If he really wanted to, a guy like Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady in Tampa Bay or even, you know, Kyla Murray in, in Phoenix could rest on their laurels. You know, you're looking at what uh, they're doing in San Diego. Herbert's not even playing in the preseason, so he's not going to lose his job. Uh, so that's not a quarterback competition. If Cruz had completely stunk it up, and again, Cruz hasn't been good, he could lose the job. But as of now, he also kind of can hold serve. He's kind of like comes out of spring as the champ. You know, in pro wrestling, you have to beat the champ. You know, you can't draw with the champ. You can't, you know, split with the champ. You, you've got to beat the champ. you got to pin the champ, and right now he is the champ. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because I haven't seen enough from Cruz to make me think, wow, that guy is a Rose Bowl caliber quarterback. I'm not even sure I've seen enough from any of these guys to think, hey, that is a, uh, a Cheetos Bowl caliber quarterback. Cheese it Bowl, Cheetos Bowl, Cheese Whiz Bowl. I'm not even sure. Too many bowls but would love to play in one. So that being said, Arizona comes into this fall camp with a host of players at the receiver position, which is interesting because at one point it looked like they were going to have almost no one at the receiver position. Almost every receiver off of last year's team entered the transfer portal. And in reality, I think the only one of, of no two left, and even I'm not even sure that is Drew Dixon, and I'm not even sure where he wound up. Now, Stanley Berryhill committed elsewhere but never signed never enrolled came back some other guys you know dallied with the transfer portal ended up coming back when jed fish came on board that was even without a proven commodity at quarterback he was able to sell them on the offense uh, just from his reputation alone his hiring of assistant coaches alone arizona has a bunch of guys who are pretty good but my worry and, and i've had this worry in previous arizona teams is do they have a star do they have a number one receiver? A legit number one receiver, not like a pretty good number one receiver. You know, I don't know if there's a Bobby Wade or Jerron Kreiner or Dennis Northcutt among this group. Heck, I'm not even sure there's a guy like a, a Mike Thomas or a Cedric Steptoe who you can count on for those key third down catches. I don't know if there are any guys who can bail out mediocre quarterback play uh, a mediocre offensive line that being said I think it's a deep position with a lot of interesting guys and we'll kind of look at this group if I had to guess and I and I don't know but if I had to guess I would assume that your your top four top five when healthy Stanley Berryhill Tavian Cunningham Jamari Joyner Booby Curry and uh, BJ Castile those are going to be your main guys. Now, can someone else rise up? Can a, a Jalen Johnson rise up? Is it going to be uh, one of the young guys, like a Dorian Singer, who's received a lot of praise and a lot of you know good things, even though a lot of people haven't seen much? Can some of the, uh, maybe the unknowns, like Anthony Simpson or Thomas Reed or, or Tristan D'Angelo, 
rise up. I wouldn't count on most of those guys. So let's look at this core group and and see what Arizona's getting. And maybe I think the guy who maybe has the chance to be or the best chance to be the number one, but not necessarily be the best chance to be a star, if that makes any sense, is Stanley Berryhill. Berryhill, again, who, who committed to one of the uh, Mac schools, I believe, then, then came back. Uh, he is a former walk-on uh, who's really emerged as a top target for this team. Interesting enough, I saw him a lot in high school. He was part of a receiving core at Miranda Mountain View. That included uh, Isaiah Lovett, Sam Spencer, and, and to a lesser extent, uh, Deshaun Flanagan Foles, the younger brother. Oddly enough, if I was taking bets, now Barry also then transferred their senior, his senior year, went to a school, uh, Orange Lutheran, I believe it was in California. But if you were asking me out of those guys, I I would have guessed Lovett would have been the best player. And Lovett did walk on for Wild Arizona. Lovett was bigger. He was in that six three six four range. Great hands. Didn't have the great speed. Didn't have the outstanding athleticism. Uh, the son of Lamont Lovett, the uh, Wildcat color commentator on radio. Sam Spencer was a guy who, if he was even Barry Hill size at 5'11", probably would have been a D1 player. Ended up playing at uh, one of the smaller Colorado schools. Was just an amazing uh, kick returner. Uh, but Barry Hill is a guy who came in and just originally, I think, committed to ASU as a preferred walk-on, but then uh, went to Arizona and has really worked his way up. You know, he's averaged 18 catches for 244 yards over the past three seasons. Those aren't, again, outstanding numbers. I think Kreiner had more than that in that one game against USC, and he wasn't even the best receiver on the field that day. He has scored eight total touchdowns. Now, he's a reliable receiver who has just enough speed to get open. He has good hands. He's a nice target. And that's, I think, the thing. He's a nice player. In a perfect world, in a really good offense, I think Barry Hill's your second, third, maybe even fourth receiver. But in Arizona, he may be number one. The other guy I think they're really, really going to count on is B.J. Castillo, the formerly known as Brian Castillo. He's a little over six foot. He's the most experienced uh, receiver on the roster. Hard to believe. Uh, he's in his fifth year in the program, and it looks like he has one more year of post-COVID eligibility. He saw limited action in 2017, redshirted in 2018, but 2019 was his breakout year of sorts. 45 grabs for 397 yards and three scores was one of the primary receivers. Last year, again, limited action for everyone on a really bad football team. He had 11 catches for 133 yards, did not find the end zone. Yeah, I I know, 11 for 133. That's a good game for some players, and that was um, a a season (laughs) high for some Arizona players. Uh, Again, I expect Castillo would be a a good number two, a good number three in, in, in a lot of teams. I think he could do that here. The guy, maybe the guy you're looking at to be kind of a breakout guy, and I'm not sure he has it in him, is Booby Curry. You know, Curry came in with a lot of hype. He was a four-star prospect with the highest-rated recruit, I believe, in the Kevin Sumlin era. I mean, he was a four-star prospect even with injuries limiting his senior season. Just hasn't done much so far in his Wildcat career. Um, He's one of the bigger receivers on the roster. That could really help him. Uh, He has just 16 career receptions, uh, although he was a starter a year ago and was actually one of the few receivers to increase his totals in the COVID shortened season from the year before. Uh, but that's not hard when you had just six receptions as a freshman. Really what we need to see from Curry is just improving upon the the little things. He has to prove his route running. He has to get better at getting open. He has the physical tools to work with, but it's the nuances of the position he needs to improve. If he can do that, he becomes a very interesting part of the offense. The problem is at what point 
do, do you make that leap? And, and again, I don't want to bash Curry because we saw that he didn't have the best coaching uh, under the Kevin Sumlin group. I'm not sure how good you know his position coaches really were, and we'll find out. Is Jed Fish a guy with his staff who can really improve uh, some of these guys? You know, can Fish, can Kevin Cummings, who comes in really well regarded, be the guys to really wring the the most out of these guys? Can they do what, again, someone didn't do, uh, and, and I would even argue maybe that, that Rich Rod did not do, and that's get really improve these guys as they go. I think, again, Rich Rod was always very good at scheming, at taking advantage of their strengths. I'm just never not sure enough guys got better under Rich Rod. I think that is one thing Stoops and his staff did. They guys got better throughout their career. If there is a guy who maybe has a chance to be a game breaker, who has a chance to be a difference maker, it's Tavian Cunningham. Cunningham, a shorter receiver, but a speedster. Uh, great speed. The challenge for him is to get isolated on the deep ball or to find him in open space. And right now we've seen maybe the biggest knock on Cruz is just inconsistent throwing that deep ball. Actually struggling in the spring and a little bit in the fall with throwing the deep ball, though he looked okay in the spring game. Or can they scheme ways to get Cunningham the ball in space? Uh, can they, you know, and I know a lot of people hate this, but bubble screens, slants, short passes uh, that can really kind of work him into the, the open field, get him matched up uh, on, on safeties or going up against linebackers. Can they use him with the jet sweep and things like that? Uh, Cunningham has had decent, uh, had a pretty good year in 2019, 35 catches, 383 yards. Uh, last year he had less catches, but actually upped his average uh, to 15.4 yards a catch up from about 10 but only had the nine catches in the single score again everyone's numbers with the exception of curry were were bad and uh or below what they were before uh and even curry i think he had 10 catches as opposed to six but cunningham's the guy who maybe uh, has a chance to be a game breaker to be a guy who if he can again stretch the field and they can get him the ball then that opens up things for these other guys who are um, slightly more possession-type receivers. Well, he won't start the season. Jamari Joyner, I think, is a guy that Arizona also will count on, who may have a chance to be that number one type guy. He'll miss the first few weeks with that foot injury that he had season surgery for. He missed a chunk of spring ball because of that foot I issue that led to the surgery. Uh, but we'll see what happens when he comes back. Will he miss so much time that his timing's off, or can he just kind of naturally get back in to the flow of the offense? For Joyner, you know, he made the move from quarterback in 2019 and had a really solid first season he caught 34 balls for 552 yards and five scores um he caught 12 more passes last year in just the five games again everyone limited and the offense was, was so bad uh joiner has the good size he has pretty good athleticism and i think he showed a pretty good ability to get open and make some tough grabs but again the real question is going to be how long does it take him to come back from the injury how long does it take him to adapt to the new offense and can he again find that next level that level of where he just can get open consistently, where he can uh, really start showing things that guys who've been playing receiver for 15 years can show. I think if he can, then he can be a guy, again, who can be a pretty good receiver for Arizona. If not, you at least know what you've got with him, and that's a solid player. Again, like all these guys, you've got a bunch of good receivers, but can they be, any one of them be great? Can any of them be very good? 
then we get into a, another group here who's a little less counted on, a little less proven. Uh, Thomas Reed reads a fun story, the former walk-on who are in playing time, but he's been mostly a special teams player. Two years ago, he had five catches for 111 yards and a score. Uh, he has, but he just has a total of 17, seven, excuse me, has a total of just seven catches in his career. This year he comes in in great shape. He's added over 10 pounds of muscle, uh, looks to finish out his final season as more than just a spot contributor, but is he a guy who can break into that rotation? I think right now, if you were doing a mock depth chart, you'd probably put him as, uh, the third receiver, uh, one of the three receivers, uh, you know, if, if you're looking at it. Uh, you know, you, you figure you're going to have three receivers in the tight end. So your first and second string will be about six guys. So he'd be in that group seven through nine. But is that enough to, to really make a difference? Is he going to get a chance? Or can these young guys pass him? And I think that's, you know, I think the good news is you got a smart kid, a good kid, a hardworking kid. But is he a kid who has enough talent to fend off? Uh, another big receiver is Jalen Johnson. Uh, Johnson did not play last year, but he played in 10 games as a true freshman. We had seven grabs, 79 yards. Again, another guy who has a chance to work his way into the rotation. Some have speculated that maybe he is kind of that second string uh, outside receiver, which I think would be a really good spot for him. I like his size again, but what can he be? But again, I think he's a guy who has a legit uh, chance to kind of get in and get involved. Trying to find out the status of Jaden Mitchell. Poor Mitchell is a guy who's been injured. Uh, the Las Vegas native dealt with the injury issue since before his career actually started. He suffered knee injury his senior year, which actually delayed his enrollment at Arizona. And then uh, redshirted in 2019 after basically gray shirting because of the knee injury. And then last year, he didn't only get COVID, but he suffered a second knee injury that kept him out all year. And I'm not sure when or if he's really going to get a chance this year. But again, a guy with some talent and with some ability. And then uh, there are a few other young guys that we mentioned. I think the guy who maybe has the best chance is Dorian Singer. He's been singled out by the coaches a few times. Uh, he's a three-star prospect uh, who moved to Arizona from Minnesota prior to a senior season and actually became a preferred walk-on for Arizona, which was kind of a huge get when you look at where he was ranked, uh, which was kind of a top 200-type receiver. He actually had some high major interest before the move, but I think mostly at safety. I know Utah at one point had offered, Texas had offered, although it doesn't sound like it was a committable offer, and then wasn't re-offered after the coaching change there. So he's kind of a steal for Arizona if he can come in and work his way in. And there's, again, if you believe the coaches, uh, he is a guy who can maybe see the field, if not this year, certainly in the future. But I would guess and I don't know this for sure, that he has the advantage over a guy like Anthony Simpson, over a guy like uh, Tristan D'Angelo, and maybe even over a guy like Reed. As much as I like the story of Reed, I like the kid earning his way from, from walk-on to scholarship to special teams maven. Really, maybe the best guy is the guy who probably won't see the field this year, and that's Majan Wright. Wright was the actually the only receiver to enter the transfer portal who actually enrolled in another school. He enrolled in Middle Tennessee State. But then after the coaching change and some of the rave reviews from some of his former teammates, he came back. He rejoined the team formally last week. He was back on campus over the summer, but formally last week. And, I, and now he's back in practice. But it sounds like the belief is among the coaching staff that he'll have to sit out this season. We'll see if there's any kind of appeal process. Last year, he might have been one of the bigger bright spots for the offense, and that's not saying much. 
Uh, 15 catches, 176 yards. But at 6'2", 197, he's one of the Cats' bigger receivers. He's also one of the very physical. And again, showed flashes last year. Being able to go up and make that tough grab. Being able to out kind of uh, work a cornerback. Make some plays. And again, I think long term, he's a guy I think Arizona can really count on. Just doesn't sound like he's going to be able to play this year. Normally, when we've done these previews, I've previewed the tight ends as well, but guess what? Arizona not only has enough tight ends to preview by themselves, but it sure sounds like they're going to throw to them. I know, it's a big tease. The throwing to the tight end is a lot like such and such is going to play a combo forward, or Sean Miller's going to open up the offense, or, you know... uh, ASU's the sleeping giant in the Pac-12. We, we hear it every year, and most years it just doesn't come to fruition. Well, maybe this is something new because, A, John Miller's not around anymore. B, they actually do have a combo forward on the basketball team. And ASU might be the sleeping giant of NCAA infractions. So we're going to preview the tight ends separately. That's what I'm saying. The tight ends get their own podcast. That's how excited we are for the tight end position. Because at one point, Arizona produced a ton of tight ends. I know it's hard to believe. Most of you were not around. But you don't remember Mark Keel. You don't remember Mike Lucky. You don't remember, uh, of course, you remember Gronkowski. But at one point, Arizona had like four or five tight ends. Uh, Richard Griffith in the NFL. I know, it's, it's astounding. But it's true. It actually happened. They didn't move them all to defensive end. Congratulations, Brooks Reed, on being uh, put into the ring of honor. Speaking of tight ends, moved to the defensive side of the ball. So what I'm saying, next podcast is going to be a tight ends podcast. Something I didn't know if I'd be able to say uh, ever in my you know Wildcat podcasting career. I had a request to return with uh, some of the horrible father stories. So I'm going to do it. Uh, If you don't like it, you can fast forward uh, to the end. So the other day, my son is telling me a story about school. He says, so my boy NASA. And I say, your boy NASA? He's like, yeah, I have a friend named NASA. But that's his real name? He's like, no. It's his nickname. And I'm thinking, oh, he's kind of a space cadet, so we're calling him NASA or or something like that. So why do you call him NASA? And he says, because he wears NASA shirts. Okay, so his buddy's NASA. I'm like... It may not be the most creative way to give a kid a nickname, but it's still a pretty good nickname. You know, it's better than just taking the first letter of the first name and, and the last, you know, a couple letters out of the last name. And, you know, he, we don't need another T-Mac or, or anything. And uh, ironically, enough, my son's nickname is T. Or so I thought. So it turns out that not only is NASA called NASA, but his other friend is called Cheesy, with a Z, I've been told. It's Cheesy with a Z. And again, I assume it's, oh, because he tells bad dad jokes like I do. Or he's, you know, to us, Cheesy was always the guy who was maybe a little bit of a perv around, around the ladies. But no, apparently he dropped cheese on his shoe. And my son and his friend call all shoes either Yeezys or Jeezys, named after the Kanye West shoes that none of them own because they're like $1,000 and really ugly. But there's NASA and Cheesy. And then I find out my son has a new nickname. So I call him T, but at school he still has been Tyler. 
But now he is Diego. And for those of you who don't know, my kids are adopted. I, you know, I'm, I'm a white guy. My kids are Hispanic. So I thought maybe it's a Hispanic thing since he has you know, a very gringo name in Tyler. But no, he's called Diego because he wears a San Diego sweatshirt frequently, even though it's 105 degrees. He wears a San Diego hoodie. He also has a San Diego t-shirt. So he's Diego. So then I asked him, well, what do you guys call Michael? Michael. So, okay, then a few days pass, and he starts talking about his boy, Becky. I'm like, Becky, he's a boy. And again, in this day and age, you're thinking, okay, maybe it's a, a transgender thing. There, are, there was a, a transgender student at his school. No, we find out that his name is Becky, or his nickname, because Becky is the sassiest name. And this young man is the sassiest boy in school. I later find out my daughter, who I thought was the queen's sass, is a Rebecca. Because a Rebecca is almost as sassy as a Becky, but not quite. So I ask her, and again, she's part of this group with the Becky. Becky's not necessarily friends with NASA and Cheesy. Just, just so you know, I'm trying to find all this out. I'm trying to figure out what's going on in my kid's life. So what I find out is, yes, there's about three or four kids who are not quite as sassy as Becky, but they're still pretty sassy, and they are the Rebecca's. So there's Rebecca 1, Rebecca 2, Rebecca 3, Rebecca 4. I didn't find out which Rebecca my daughter is, but knowing my daughter's dominant personality, she's Rebecca 1. And then I find out that Tyler, with this group of friends, he has a different nickname. He's not Diego. He is Patricia. And I say, Patricia? He's like, yeah, Patricia. Because everyone knows Patricia's aren't sassy at all. Okay, so my son, who has been Duder most of his life to, he's about five or six, has now been T for the last few years. So much that on his baseball and his soccer jersey, he just puts the letter T in quotation marks. As he says, it's very important that it's in quotation marks so people know it's a nickname. Okay? And then he has a friend named Ray. And I always said, if I had a friend named Ray, I wish he would go by Ray Ray. But Ray does not go by Ray Ray. And it's disappointing, but, but okay. But... Ray just goes by Ray with Tyler and his friends. However, his mom and his dad, who are not together, but that's not really important, call him Micro. Why? Because his dad is Big Ray or Macro. And Ray, who should be Ray Ray but is not Ray Ray, is Micro. Next time, we will tell you why my daughter made me think I was crazy and why the school bully is deathly afraid of her. To Judd Fish for naming a starter, to all these wide receivers who have a chance to step up or at least be a pretty solid group, and to the fact we get to talk about tight ends, all I can say is, bear down. 